Welcome to Blackbird episode number 15. My name is James, and today I'm excited to welcome back to the show Pavel, the full-time crypto trader. Uh, Pavel has been on the show before to talk about sort of what it's like to be a full-time crypto trader, some tips and techniques, um, and some ways to do it while avoiding the state. Um, Whether you want to do it under the table or above board, that's not my business. Um, I asked Pavel to come on to talk about the state of crypto trading in 2021 and um, where he sees opportunities for making a lot of money if you're willing to take the risks. So uh, here we go. This is my speculative interview with Pavel, the full-time crypto trader. Hey, Pavel, welcome back. Hey, James, glad to be back. Um, a lot has happened since uh, I was on here last with the market. I know, dude. So I, uh, I started trading a little bit um, we so you and I have had a lot of like unrecorded conversations. We at this point we are we pretty much have like a constant ongoing chat on Telegram. Yeah. Um, and uh, have kind of developed a friendship, which is kind of neat. Um, we'll be meeting in person in the next couple of months. Uh, and so I wanted to have you back on to just kind of get your predictions and um sort of a, a recap of what's gone on in the last couple of months since the last time you were on, because a lot has happened. Lots of all-time highs, lots of uh, like institutional investors, um, yes, lots that kind of, of thing. So I'd love to, I'd love to just pick your brain. Um, you also, what, before we started, you said that you wanted to clear the air on something that you said last time. Um, <laughs> oh, and I guess before we, before we really get started, and I don't remember if I, if I recorded this in the intro, which I pre-record because I'm trying to learn how to be a little bit more efficient with my time, but nothing in this episode, my lawyer has told me uh, I need to say is financial advice and we're not lawyers and we're not financial professionals. Yes. So take yes, all no, of this no. with a grain of thought and with a grain of salt, make your decisions wisely and pay your taxes, kids. With that, yes. <laughs> with that, let's taxes. get started. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad to be back. Uh, yeah, there is actually one thing I do need to say about uh, my last appearance because it was my first ever podcast appearance and you were a stranger. You weren't my friend yet. Uh, I was really nervous. Uh, so you asked me about utility tokens and I said, oh, I'm not really you know, that familiar with utility tokens. And that was at the end of our interview. And then we immediately logged off. And I immediately was kicking myself because I was like, uh, you idiot, you do know what utility tokens are. And just for everybody listening, you know, just I'll break it down really quick. A utility token, it's designed, uh, you know, it's in the name utility token to have utility for the network that it is designed for. And the biggest one that I can think of as a utility token is the link token for the chain link network, which I am a huge fan and uh, investor in. Yeah. Did we talk about link last time? We did, I think, a little bit. I don't quite recall. Uh, we can talk more about that. I actually have a whole uh, thing on oracles that I want to get into. Oh, great. Stuff, so we'll get into that later. But uh, basically, a utility token is designed one way or another to serve like the network. And with I'll explain it with Link. Is the tokens are used for you know for staking purposes to launch and run a node. You need ten thousand Link tokens to do that. Uh, it's, it's a proof of stake network, which is different than Bitcoin, Litecoin, and other networks of proof of work, which requires mining and computers to generate, uh, you know, to use electricity to solve 
various mathematical problems, it's a different setup. So, you know, instead of, you know, generating tokens that have value, uh, the tokens like themselves are already out there and, you know, like staking them then runs a node which creates value or it does something different with various other networks. And like you also have Orchid, uh, which is a decentralized VPN uh, network. They have utility tokens. Uh, I think it's OXT. Uh, and each token is used like, also similar to Link for, you know, on network payments and for staking to launch nodes. And yeah, that's that's basically what utility tokens are. Just I wanted to clear the air on that because so they just anyway, do it was the last time. Yeah, they just they 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 serve a purpose uh, other than just functioning like money, which I yes. think I think that confuses a lot of people. Um, you know, I I'm not going to necessarily use Link to buy and sell stuff. I'm going to use Link for a different purpose. Right. Yeah, um, you're going to use Link to pay smart contract node operators. Yeah. Uh, to, to verify your smart contract data for you. Okay, so I know this is a little bit out of order um, from your list, which you sent me. Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> but let's get into let's get into that then. What what is a smart contract, and what is like an oracle, and how does that work with smart contracts, and what do you think we can look forward to? Yeah. So a smart contract uh, it is essentially a digital agreement on the blockchain. So we can have like through a website, you know, we can have a contract, quote unquote, uh, that is, you know, supposedly binding. And, you know, I have to fulfill my end of the agreement and you have to fulfill your end of the agreement. But I don't necessarily, I can't necessarily hold you accountable to do what you say that you're going to do. Mm -hmm. And with smart contracts, you know, like much like other things that have the smart in front of them, like smartphones, smart TVs, you know, a smart contract is a digital agreement that is plugged into the internet through the blockchain and you can have an insurance contract uh that you know is fed data on various things uh we talked about briefly about etheris dip last time which is you know decentralized insurance protocol and what a smart contract does is it gets all this information uh, from off-chain sources or on-chain sources, and you basically have a digital agreement that has to be executed, and it removes a lot of that counterparty risk that you normally mm -hmm. have with traditional agreements. And one, of the, one, of the, one of the new words that I learned um, kind of recently uh, is the word trustless. Um, yes. Smart contracts are frequently described as trustless, and the reason yes. for that is like if you and I make an agreement, I have to trust that you're going to fulfill your end of the bargain um, if I fulfill my end of the bargain. And with a smart contract, that trust uh, is no longer necessary because the contract is self-fulfilling. If you don't do it, then I don't, then I don't have to give you what I'm going to give you. Exactly. That is, that is exactly what a smart contract is. Yeah. And what an Oracle is, and this is the most exciting thing. This is why I think Chainlink and other Oracles are going to have you know, a great time in this bull cycle, Chainlink especially, uh, is that all smart contracts are reliant on what is called an oracle. And every blockchain has a native oracle built into it. And what the oracle does is it pulls information from off-chain sources. So either a bank account, you know, weather data, AP, any, any API that it can connect to, it'll get data from. The problem with native oracles on every blockchain is that they are centralized. 
Uh, real quick, home. real quick, just for the just for yes. the people who aren't quite as tech tech savvy, uh, API yeah. is basically just like two way communication between between software that aren't necessarily connected to one another. So like, um, just two way communication in real time, so that you're not like dumping something onto a server and then it's picking it up. Is that about right? Yeah, that actually is. That's exactly right. Yeah, and it's yeah, that's important for your 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 average person that's listening to know that's not as tech savvy. Yeah, and uh, but anyways, so. The problem with the centralized oracles that are native to every blockchain, and like I just said, they're centralized, but it's that they're centralized, meaning that they can only grab data from one source at a time, and they can't be plugged into multiple sources of data, which creates, you know, one that that take that's, you know, that technically like that's going to take more time to load data, and it's going to make the contracts less efficient, and it's going to, you know, it's going to make digital agreements harder to execute, and two, that's a major uh, security flaw because if you have malicious actors that find out where your oracle is drawing the one source of data from, they can attack your data source. Like, so say we have you know a smart contract that's reliant on the price of Ethereum on coin, according to CoinMarketCap.com, and if the hackers find out about that, or if some malicious party finds out about that, they can attack, you know, coinmarketcap.com, change the price of Ethereum on the website, and then that'll cause our smart contract to execute like a sell order or some other thing. And we are completely SOL. We're completely screwed. Uh, Chainlink fixes that because it is a decentralized Oracle network, meaning that every, it, it plugs, so it's it's essentially blockchain middleware in that it plugs in to the centralized oracle and it then had that oracle then has access to an entire network of independent oracles that have been set up by individuals, companies, institutions, anybody that can get their hands on 10,000 link tokens and through the oracle network every information, every piece of information that is brought on to any blockchain or any oracle like that's connected natively to it it cross-references you know those data sources and pulls it from anywhere and because you have multiple nodes multiple oracles that are designed to be drawing all this data and cross-referencing with one another it essentially makes it so you have this ironclad layer for data to be loaded onto your blockchain which is incredibly important because if we ever want to have blockchain that's useful for real world things like i mentioned earlier like insurance or for like you know lease agreements or for any, anything you need to have that oracle network working and i think you know some people have said this before in the past and it's i think it's true is that if you whoever can solve the oracle problem because right now like with chainlink you know we'll get into this more you know with defi is that all these decentralized finance applications that are supposedly, if we, we hope to have quadrillions of dollars in their market cap one day, because they're processing, you know, and they so much value is reliant on them that it's worth quadrillions of dollars. Mm. You need data, that data to be secured and accurate. Otherwise, this is never going to get off the ground. Like for real world purposes. Yeah, and there's a lot of competitors to Chainlink. You know, you have Band, you have Teller, uh, MakerDAO to some extent, API three, but there's no other Oracle, in my opinion, uh, that's going to be as good as Chainlink is at least for a while, 
because they have that first mover advantage. And right. as you know, you know, in tech, first mover advantage is everything. In 2017, Ethereum, which was, you know, the first big smart contract platform, they had a lot of imitators. They still do to this day. And there's actually some decent competitors now after a few years. But I mean, it's the it's the standard for smart contract platforms. And I think Chainlink is gonna, you know, it's gonna be a very similar pattern with Chainlink. Um, so what do you, uh, what do you think is going to be like the biggest thing, I guess this year, as far as, uh, like growth and, um, just sort of revolutionary technology? I think that, oh, wait, you just, wait, you just went like that. Like what's up? Oh no, I was just telling you to go to number one on your list. I'll go number one. Oh yeah. yeah. Sorry, because I, I went out of order and we can, yeah. we, I'll just edit this bit out, but go You're ahead. good. Yeah, I knew you would, but yeah. Uh, well, I think will be the biggest area of growth. I think it's going to be mostly decentralized finance, but all of that is built on Ethereum and Polkadot, which are smart contract platforms. So I think what's really going to happen this cycle is you're going to see explosive growth in one decentralized finance. And I think it's going to make the ICO bubble of 2017 uh, look tiny in comparison because there's actual value here with decentralized finance. You have decentralized lending, decentralized derivatives platforms, et cetera. And people are going to realize that the underlying uh, protocol that's built on is, you know, it's Ethereum. And, or, you know, Polkadot, which is, you know, the second leading smart contract platform, uh, which has a lot of people that were actually originally involved with Ethereum working on it, but I digress. And I think that like right now, it's it's actually very eerie how similar the price action is in terms of actual dollar value that Ethereum's had to Bitcoin did in 2017. And I think that even though it's underperformed the past few weeks and months compared to where it should be, I think over the next year uh, where we're bullish in this market, it's going to go vertical. It's going to have explosive growth because not only are the applications that are built on them going to get widespread exposure and people are going to find out that the utility that they have, companies and other institutions are waking up to the fact that, you know, if Ether, the currency underlying Ethereum has value, that if the actual network itself has value. And so you have all these institutional investors, you have, you know, and then coming to the space, you have uh, Grayscale buying up tons of, tons of Bitcoin, tons of Ether. You have various banks such as Bitcoin, uh, such as JP Morgan, uh, Citi, mulling the idea of buying Bitcoin and a few other ones like Ethereum. Uh, you know, Ethereum is just, it really, it's like I said, like, you know, it's been, it's been getting pounded, uh, unfortunately, the past few weeks, it has not performed as well as the protocols that are built on it. But it's, I think that, you know, it's going to have 2017 price, price action, so similar to Bitcoin. Do you I'm think it's excited about it? Do you think it's a big bubble or um, does it have staying power? Or does it have staying power? Uh, I think, well, crypto is unfortunately prone to bubbles, I think, due to, yeah. you know, the nature of it being a an emerging market, you know, like any, any emerging market's going to have a ton of bubbles in it. Mm -hmm. But I think crypto especially is prone to it because, you know, it's so easy to just have capital flow into the market. There's, there's no intermediaries that make it difficult, you know, to control it. It's like you right. literally can just log on to any exchange 
and just buy whatever coins and tokens you want and you can just jump right in. Um, one thing that I have been thinking about that might be different. And for those listening, you know, every, you know, I've mentioned before, like the cycle, like there's in crypto, there's like a meme that every four years uh, we have a bull cycle. And mm-hmm. historically that's been true, but I have been, and I have been thinking, you know, that recently maybe we do have, you know, a 2013 like run this time instead of 2017, because what happened in 20, you know, 13 instead of 2017, because those who are unaware in 2017, you know, Bitcoin and all these other, you know, these altcoins like, you know, Ethereum and Litecoin and, you know, all these other ones, they had a massive run up. And I think what's going to happen potentially is that now that we have all these big players in, you know, like you have Tesla also, Tesla bought you know, $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin. You have all that happening. Now that you have institutions here and big, big players, it's going to, the space is going to be more stable in terms of price. And so I, well, even though I can see a massive run happening and then a massive drop, maybe to the tune of maybe 40, possibly 60% market wide, I mean, at least with Bitcoin, and I think all coins are going to get hit worse. They always do. Um, I think there's a good chance that we actually have, you know, after that, you know, cause like I said, in 2013, we didn't have that massive like drift of death that basically, you know, killed off a big portion of the market. Instead, mm-hmm. it just, it grew more. You know, it, it like it ran up and then like 2013, it came back down and it just shot up again, you know, in that for that run. And so I think there's a chance that that happens with good projects. However, I also think we're going to see a lot of projects die. And that's a good thing because right. a lot of the projects that are going to die, they're, you know, they're shit coins. Like I think TRX is not long for the, even though there's a ton of money in it, uh, that's one of them. You know, I think up, up the top of my head, they're not long for the world and all that capital you know, whatever the uh, owners of the network or the creators, they exit scam, whatever's left is going to flow to better projects. So it's going to go to Ether. It's going to go to Bitcoin. It's going to go to Chainlink. It's going to go to Synthetics. It's going to go to these other ones that are actually generating value. So I look forward to the death of many shit coins. <laughs> what about a, uh, what about Doge? That's the, that's the big elephant <laughs> in the room. Doge. Uh, Doge is just a meme, in my opinion. A yeah. meme, meme that can make you money uh, and lose you money. I, I mean, its I, its value is predicated on Elon Musk's Twitter account, basically. Yeah, <laughs> and he's now get, getting he's actually now getting investigated by the SEC for that, apparently. Which, of course. Yeah, which you know that that's a that's a load of crap. We could the, those that, listening, but. those listening didn't see me roll my eyes. Uh, yeah. that, was, that was an eye roll, of course, not a, <laughs> not a, uh, Oh, he's getting what he's what's due him. Uh, of course. Um, okay. So Dogecoin, probably just a meme. Um, yeah, but maybe a meme with staying power. Just, I it's going to stay given its meme status. Uh, it's going to stay. It'll be around for a while. It's probably, it's the funny thing. I think even though like, it's probably going to have massive, you know, like anybody listening, like don't throw a ton of money at Dogecoin, please. For the love of God, do not throw your life savings at Dogecoin. I've seen some very stupid posts from some people that I know in real life who, once they heard about it, they threw a bit too much money at it. Don't, don't do that because even though it's going to go up in the long term, I think, which is, I hate to say because it's, it's a stupid meme, but at the same time, I, I love memes. So I should, maybe I shouldn't say that, uh, it's probably going to go up with everything. It, it, it tends sure. to follow the market. If you look at the all-time chart, it, it, it just does because, you know. Well, it does until it means. doesn't. 
Yeah, exactly. It's a thing. It does until it doesn't. But like until the bull market ends, it's going to go, it's going to keep going up with the market. But as soon as this bull market ends, it's going to just, you got to sell quick because it's going to drop. It's going to drop as fast as it rises, if not faster, you know, due to gravity. And that's just gravity. You know, it, it takes a lot more time to get up in the air than it does to, you know, fall out of it. But yeah, it's, that's, that's my thoughts on Dogecoin. <laughs> so back to ETH or Ethereum and like the other smart contract platforms, is there yeah. a major difference between like Ethereum and Polkadot or is it just like McDonald's and Burger King? So I actually, I am not very, unfortunately, like as tech savvy as others are in this space is my area of expertise is really more on just charts and trading. Right. Uh, but I think one of the issues that, you know, and this is true, I, I shouldn't say I think, I know. One of the biggest issues that plagues, you know, Ethereum is the scalability issue, is that whenever the network gets so congested with usage, and you've experienced this as well, is that mm -hmm. the fees for sending a transaction for, you know, for a lot of these apps or these other blockchains that are built on top of Ethereum, it makes it much more expensive to operate during times of peak usage, like we've been seeing experienced uh, over this past few months, and it's been getting worse. I think one of the benefits of having a dip that we're going through right now is that I think it you know it resets a lot of that and it, it washes a lot of money out of the market that shouldn't be here or that wasn't used mm -hmm. correctly. And by the dip we're going through right now, because this isn't going to post for a week, but we're so we're on February twenty seventh uh, yeah. today. So the dip might be over by then. I mean, it's been so. I think it will. Yeah, it's been so the, the there's been so much churn in the market in the last couple of weeks, um, and uh, it just so happened that this was the couple of weeks that I was getting my feet wet too. So uh, yeah. I've I've lost I've lost you know a little bit of money, although it's it's coming back now, so that's good. Yeah, it's it, I think it's you know in in a bull market in a bull cycle, you know I think I think realistically like until like you know Bitcoin's like a two hundred thousand or so, like that's maybe. Mm -hmm. Like maybe when like dips, I might get worried about buying dips because it might dip lower. But like until then, you know, until like until we're about four years out from the last bull cycle entirely from the last peak, that's when I would start getting worried. But like right now, like any serious dip like this, you know, I, I would look into purchasing. But uh, yes, yeah, so we're talking about, uh, yeah, smart contract platform. Yeah, the but, difference. Uh, yeah, like the difference between ETH. Ethereum and DOT and... Uh, yeah, it's just, it's scalability issues. I think mostly is that, you know, they're trying to create a smart contract platform that doesn't have those same issues. Because right now, uh, Uniswap, which is a decentralized, which is, you know, one of the most popular decentralized exchanges, uh, you know, it's entirely reliant on ETH and Ether. And uh, it, the, the fees for that have gotten insane. Normally, transactions would only cost, you know, a few cents, a few dollars a basic transaction now on there is anywhere north of 100. Usually on average, it's around 200 based on what I've seen. Uh, and that's, unless you're trading with size or you're buying with size, it's not even worth it for the average person. And that, that is a serious issue uh, for smart contract platforms, especially Ethereum. But I think with ETH 2.0 and various other sidechain um, abilities, I think, I think it will probably solve it. I'm unfortunately not, this is not my area of expertise, but I, I think based on what I've heard from smarter people than myself, I think this problem will be solved one way or another, either on Ethereum or maybe Polkadot, you know, whatever happens, happens. But I, I think 
one way or another, smart contracts and their platforms are here to stay. What uh, What is ETH 2.0? Yeah, so that's a change in the way that the Ethereum uh, ecosystem works. It's moving the network away from a proof of work mechanism to a proof of stake mechanism, which is, you know, they're hoping that by moving it to a proof of stake model, it will reduce gas fees. And there's some evidence that it will. Unfortunately, again, this is not an area of expertise. And they had the full ETH 2.0 hasn't entirely launched yet. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how it goes. But as of right now, we're having terrible issues with it, uh, you know, with, with fees. But again, the, the market was probably a little hyped up in that this isn't normal conditions. But then again, you know, if you want a network that's going to work all the time, it needs to be able to work, you know, normally during these conditions and not have insane fees. Can you uh, quickly explain the difference between proof of work and proof of stake? Yes. So proof of work, uh, that was the first type of network built for blockchain. That's what Bitcoin is, meaning uh, that the chain, that the, the chain blockchain, uh, the blocks are mined uh, through computers actually using electricity to solve ever-increasing difficult math problems and that basically secures your network. So it's through actual computers doing work. And whereas proof of stake is taking tokens, you know, and then there's a predetermined amount for various, you know, depending on what it is, I'll use Chainlink for the example, is that you, you take 10,000 tokens uh, and then you stake them and then you can run a node and then through performing the function of whatever that network does, you get paid in those tokens. And that's sort of what gives them value is that you have actors in the network doing what needs to be done. And they have those tokens that they hold as collateral, uh, which is incentivizes them to keep the value of the tokens either stable or, you know, constant, like either constant or increasing over time. Like, cause you don't want, like if I own a bunch of tokens and I have a bunch of nodes on this network, I have incentive to keep those tokens you know, worth something because mm-hmm. I don't want my investment to go to zero or I don't want to lose value on it. I want it to go up. So, so in the, the so in the case of Chainlink, um, would that be like your node is acting as the Oracle for someone's smart contract? Yes. It yeah. could be acting for, you know, anybody's smart contract and for, yeah. for ether it's, you know, you're, you know, you're running the underlying protocol for all those, you know, blockchains, all those cryptos. All right. So uh, what about DeFi? What is that? And wh- why are you bullish on that? Yes. Yeah, so DeFi is decentralized finance. And I am most bullish on that sector of crypto because I think it has the most uh, promise for your average person and for your institutions. Because right now, as we've all seen, and we, as most listeners of uh, the show know, uh, the existing financial system is rigged and corrupt. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a mess, uh, to put it lightly. And what decentralized finance does is it takes away all the power for the people that are currently screwing everyone over right now. And it puts it in the hands of, you know, decentralized protocols that have to execute, you know, according to the way they're programmed, which is to act fairly to both parties. And, especially I think in a post, you know, GameStop uh, world, you know, for those, obviously everyone listening, I think, you know, heard of GameStop, the whole thing that happened with Wall Street bets and the short squeeze there. But basically with decentralized finance, 
that situation, not saying that you can't have short squeezes and, you know, people can't over leverage themselves still, but to have a situation where exchanges are turning off the ability for people to purchase uh, that coin, like that, you know, that stock or whatever, or whatever it is they're going to purchase, you know, to really like protect them. Like that can't happen with decentralized finance. Like it has to execute. Like you have to be able to purchase, you have to be able to sell, you have mm-hmm. to, the contracts have to be executed. You can't just step in and change it. It's the network will not allow you, the protocol won't allow you. So I think really after GameStop, there's like this, you know, there really is partially this golden narrative that DeFi has been handed in that, hey, we eliminate that counterparty risk. You know, we have, you know, you already have some things happening in DeFi that are really cool. Like you have Aave, which is a decentralized lending platform. That one's seen an incredible increase in value this year alone. And I think it's going to only go higher. Uh, Mm. It might reset a little bit, but another one that I'm really excited about is Synthetics, which is a decentralized derivatives platform. And like I mentioned with GameStop, you know, a lot of, they basically, like you know, they stopped the ability for you to long, go to go long on, you know, stock you know, with synthetics or other decentralized derivatives platforms, like that can't happen. You can always buy or you can always open a contract so long as you have someone that's willing to, you know, take the other side of that trade because that's how derivatives markets work. What about if, uh, what about when like the exchanges like Binance or, you know, Coinbase yes. or whatever, what about when they halt trading? Is that possible? They, yes, it is possible. Uh, we've seen that with Coinbase halting trading for XRP because they are sued, being sued by the SEC currently. They can halt any coin that they want at any time. They can even stop you from withdrawing it. And, you know, I talked about this a little bit. Actually, I had this in my show notes a little bit. Is that, you know, you have the right, I think DEXs, you know, decentralized exchanges. That's the answer to a lot of these uh, centralized exchanges mm-hmm. like Binance, like, like Coinbase. But, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the problem is that a lot of them are they're built on Ethereum so that their fees are incredibly high right now. You know, and with a decentralized exchange, nobody can shut down at any, like at any time, you know, you can always buy and sell and anybody can list any coin on there. And there's actually often a lot of imposters, you know, listing fake projects on there. Like I've recently, uh, there was an issue with one of my friends was having, he was trying to buy this uh, one coin called Super Farm. And there was a ton of fake ones on there and he couldn't figure out which one it was. And then he realized like, oh, they actually haven't even launched yet. But, you know, all these, there's all these actors out there, like bad actors trying to uh, take your money from you in crypto. But uh, I think one of the things with, uh, that's going to happen that this cycle especially is that, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of capital uh, fly into these decentralized exchanges because you also have SushiSwap and you also have OneInch and there's a lot of, you know, I've seen, I've seen a lot of chatter about the Binance uh, stuff being built on the Binance chain. Supposedly they have decks, like supposedly Binance is sponsoring like a DEX somehow I, I've heard, uh, but I have. And Bi- haven't Binance is your exchange of choice. Yes. And Binance is my centralized exchange of choice. I, you know, if you can, you know, you can access the international one, you know, I would do that. But if you want to be as, uh, in the light as possible and your jurisdiction allows it you in you're in the united states i think most of the listeners here are going to be in the united states you could use binance.us but their selection is not as good as the international site which you could access with a vpn if you wanted to just just saying on minecraft yes on minecraft yes <laughs> on minecraft uh okay cool so that's uh that's dex's um yeah what about nfts what yes what are those 
Yes. So an NFT is a non-fungible token. So with Bitcoin, uh, you will have a Bitcoin. It's always worth what a Bitcoin is. You know, every Bitcoin is equal. Mm-hmm. NFTs are not the same. And what an NFT is, is it's essentially a digital document or it could be a picture. It could be anything that, you know, it's mostly image files. And, you know, which is why I think they're kind of overhyped is that you have a lot of this. Uh, and right now what people are doing is they're putting pieces of art on the blockchain. They're putting gifts. Yeah, I on the keep blockchain. hearing that uh, buying yes. art on on NFTs or with NFTs. Yes, yes. And there's it's a very volatile market right now. And people are making a lot of money off of literally just ripping gifts and putting them on, you know, the blockchain, you know, which is why I think it's a little overhyped right now. But it actually does serve some real purposes, I think, because NFTs, you know, eventually they could be used uh, for tri- like logging traditional like contracts. Like you could put like, say like, you know, we have an actual written contract and we both sign it, you know, for whatever reason, we're not using a smart contract or a deed even. You could put it, upload it and put it on an NFT and that way you have the, like the D say you have the deed to a property, you could have it on the blockchain and it would be an mm-hmm. NFT. So we could exchange that NFT. So it's dependent on the value of that property. That token is not pegged to anything else. It's pegged to that property. So whatever the, the deed of that property is worth, you know, that's what it's, it's equal to the value of the NFT. I could see it. Um, maybe not like fine art. I mean, who's going to want to, who's going to want to, uh, display a screen on their wall or whatever, but maybe, um, Autists. yeah, true. <laughs> uh, maybe like the music industry or, um, graphic design, that kind of thing. Would, would that be more of a use case for NFTs than just swapping so, gifts though. that you can also get on Imgur? Yeah, I think so. Because you could log, uh, your own creations on the blockchain and mm. you could, you know, have a record of being the first person that logged it. And you could say, Hey, this is mine. You know, I made this, this is mine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I really think that it's, it's overhyped right now. You know, I think one day it will have value, you know, and I think some, some of these art pieces, you know, simply because they are the first ones to ever be put on blockchain. And there are some artists on, you know, for, there are some NFT artists that people are, you know, fans of much like they are real life artists. There's going to, there's always going to be a market for it, but you have a lot of right now, like there's like NFTs, like people buy them for like a thousand and then the next day they're like up to 10,000. That's, you know, I mean, which is just crypto and it's things go insane normally all the time. But for art pieces, I, I, I don't, I don't see the value there. You know, someone does obviously, you know, prices are yeah. subjective, you know, the, there's people can see value in anything, but uh, as someone who has been looking at the market for the past four years, you know, and has, some understanding of this, I don't really see the value there. You know, apart from, apart from like owning like a novel piece of, you know, technological history, which I get that to some extent. Um, so what about uh, like these institutional, these institutional investors that we're seeing and, um, you know, just other, just other kind of like stuff that's going on in the world. Um, do you, what, what kind of impact do you think that's going to have? I think it's going to have a massive impact on the space, you know, for the, for the you know, benefit of everyone in it, uh, because a lot of these institutions, you know, they bring not only, you know, a lot of capital to the space, uh, unfortunately, like, but they unfortunately bring legitimacy 
Um, I wish that it wasn't that way. I wish people could see the value of crypto and decentralized finance and a lot of these other decentralized applications, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but unfortunately, you know, everybody still trusts, you know, banks and other lending institutions and corporations, which, you know, there, to some extent, there, there is some valid reasons why they do. But, you know, I think another big thing that's really driving, you know, a lot of normal people's interest, a lot of retail interest is in a lot of you know institutions interest as well is, you know, inflation. You know, we've seen the money monetary supply just it's basically doubled in the past year alone. And people, people are scared. They want to, you know, and like companies too, they want to have, they want to have holdings in something that is basically guaranteed to, you know, store their value. And, you know, for crypto, the best thing for that is, you know, at this time is Bitcoin. It's, it's proven itself to be the ultimate store of value in crypto. There's no other, you know, there's nothing else that compares as of now. Uh, so I think that's really why a lot of these companies are doing that is because they know that their holdings are, they're just, they have a lot of cash holdings. It's just sitting there. It's, it's, doing nothing but depreciating. They've already deployed as much as they can towards R&D and various other activities. So it's in the interest of not only, you know, them, them, but their shareholders to have that money appreciate, you know, to have the value appreciate. And I think that that's really, you know, it's suck. I, I, I hate rooting for inflation because that, that robs so many people of value but at the same time, I I got to say, like, you know, thank you, Jerome Powell. Thank you, Federal right. Reserve. Like, because they are driving so many people into crypto right now. So, like, you have, my, like, we just, I mean, Tesla, I mentioned this earlier, but Tesla just bought $1.5 billion in Bitcoin. You know, for those, if you haven't heard of that yet, I, I, you must be living under a rock. You know, but it's Yeah, it's that funny. was big news. And it didn't, yeah. didn't, like, Goldman Sachs or somebody also throw 1.5 billion. It seems yeah. like you've seen the 1.5 billion number. A I couple think of times. Goldman, I think Goldman, I know Citibank uh, and JP Morgan. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure they did, but yeah, that's uh, yeah. JP, I get JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs mixed yeah, up. I think, I was. think Goldman, I, I do that's, I get them confused too. They're all one. They're all, it's all one it's, Hydra. It's right. One, exactly. Like they're just, the they're just dude. arms of an octopus or whatever. Yeah. Yes. And then they grow back and then they get worse. <laughs> yeah. I'm off. Like we cut off Bear Stearns, we got rid of Bear Stearns and all those other ones, and you know the financial crisis, and oh, they just got absorbed into the other ones, and now it's worse. But uh, yeah, I think that you know, like I mentioned earlier, I think these big players are really going to help prop up the space from having those dramatic, you know, bubbles from happening. So for long-term growth, it's a good thing, you know, but it, it also for someone who likes to trade the volatility, it also you know, makes me worry about that long-term, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's definitely not going to be able to continue eventually with, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier with uh, Bitcoin, you know, we, I mentioned the, there's the meme of every four years we have a bull cycle and, you know, every time the uh, there's a, there's a chart that goes around, it's, it has, you know, a curve of the actual price of Bitcoin. You know, it's a, it's a curve of it going from the top to the bottom. If you Google, it's called the low, the uh, logarithmic, uh, logarithmic growth curve. And, you know, whenever, you know, a, a logarithm, you know, whenever something is like logged in math, it's, it's logarithmic. It means it's, you know, by 10. And each time uh, Bitcoin has a bull cycle, that number goes down, you know, the logarithmic growth, it decreases. Um, but I, th- and I think that uh, having institutions here is definitely going to contribute to that. Uh, for 
but really I think ultimately it's going to be for the better because that is going to help promote, uh, you know, Bitcoin and a lot of other cryptocurrencies. And that's going to, I think, ultimately be what's best for society. So, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think it's a good thing that they're here. You, know. you mentioned Jerome Powell, his uh, predecessor, Janet Yellen, the, uh, the, <laughs> the economist who won't die uh, is now yeah. in a position of influence over president Biden. Um, what do you yes. think? She, I mean, she's, so she's pretty, she's pretty down on cryptos or at, at least what she thinks of cryptos. What, well, yeah. What do you think that holds for the next couple of years anyway? I think it's bullish. I think it's I think it's a good thing because people are becoming much more aware of how rigged the system is against them. And you had recently had Bill Gates come out and say that he doesn't like Bitcoin. Uh, I think Janet Yellen coming out and saying that she doesn't like Bitcoin is just it's just going to fuel the growth because people they see these monsters uh, go come out and say like, oh, don't do this. So what are you going to do? Your enemy comes out and says, don't do it. You're going to do exactly hmm. that. And maybe it's even bullish, I mean, getting into philosophy a little bit, maybe it's even bullish for libertarianism in general. I think so. I think so. That's part of the reason why I've, I've been so, I've noticed actually that by promoting Bitcoin to my friends and other cryptocurrencies, it's, it's allowed them to see outside, you know, the traditional system that they've been, you know, presented and all, it's all they're used to. And it's, it's opened a lot of people's eyes to be like, huh. If this is, you know, if I can do this, if I can, you know, make money doing this, or if I can exit the financial system, if there's another one here, like what other things can I do outside of the existing system? What other things can I do to break away? And I'm starting to see that amongst my, my, my normal, my IRL friends. And that makes right. me, that makes me happy. But uh, yeah, I think it is, I think it's good for libertarianism because, you know, once people, once people are able to see, you know, I think the greatest thing that could happen for libertarianism is to actually like force people, you know, to learn about monetary policy, uh, through inflation and that that's good. They're going to be forced. So people are going to be forced to learn about how money works. And, you know, there's a, and there's a reason why in 2008 and 2012, and even to this day, you know, with Ron Paul and everything like, you know, inflation was and is the central issue for a lot of libertarians. And so it's the one that we always should have been pursuing because people react much more to things when there's money involved and when there's skin in the game. And when it's their money, that's the ultimate skin to them. Because if people realize that their value that they hold could be wiped away in an instant, you know, just like based on the whim of the, the chair of the Fed or some other bureaucrat, that really will open their eyes to everything because once they realize, you know, how the money works then they're going to start realizing other things that are attached to it. And that's, that's going to cause the whole system to unwind. I, I hope, I really hope because there's another, because as much as I love crypto and I see the uh, utility for it, like in the decentralized world, it could also be used against us. And oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, because, and I'm going to use my, my favorite one chain link. I'm going to talk about that real quick. So like, you know, an Oracle network that secures everything and make sure all data is 
you know, useful that not only has use to people like us who want to see, you know, the decentralization of systems like decentralization of insurance, decentralization of finance, you know, that's, that's awesome. That's great for us. You also have real world uses right now where people that we don't like and groups we don't like also like Chainlink and they also like crypto. For example, the, uh, the CCP, Chinese Communist Party, they're actually using Chainlink right now for their social credit network. And that's scary because, you know, if you're a libertarian, if you're any, if you're anybody who cares remotely about like freedom and liberty, that's terrifying. The fact that you have, you know, this technology that can verify anything and that can be used by very bad people, that's not good, but it's like, you know, like the internet, they are able to, you know, keep track of us and see us through a lot of, you know, BS on here, but we're also able to organize and fight back against them. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword, you know, and one, actually one last thing about Chainlink, uh, you know, I love him again. I love Chainlink. I love the applications it can be used for the world economic forum <laughs> to get a little conspiratorial here who everybody, you know, if you're even remotely like involved in conspiracies, you know, that, that yeah. the WEF is like the devil. Or- or even not. I mean, I, it seems yeah. like it seems like that particular conspiracy theory has broken out into the general public, which is kind of yeah. nice because it doesn't make me sound so kooky. And I'm not a, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Like I, I, I think Al Qaeda did 9-11 and uh, I, I don't know what I think right. of JFK, but I have a feeling Lee Harvey Oswald had something to do with it. So, and, and, yeah. yeah. So anyway, and I don't believe in lizard people in the world round and all that stuff. But the World, world Economic Forum is like so obviously up to something nefarious yeah if you value freedom and liberty and self self-governance i guess yeah um, and they so love, anyway yeah they, go for it what, what what's the wf doing as far as crypto well they love Chainlink. they absolutely love Chainlink. if you go on the wef's website you type in Chainlink, you'll find various articles uh written by sergey nazarov who's the founder who's co-founder and ceo of Chainlink. uh various other people that high up in the uh you know, in the actual like company and, you know, the create chain link. And that makes me, I, I have conflict on one level, like on one emotional level that makes me like, just, I feel like very, I don't know, just very, uh, very shake my head. I can't, I can't, you know, I can't like put that emotion into words, but it just makes me feel very just, yeah, you know, but then also, you know, at the same time, if it make, you know, if, if this technology, you know, and this is ultimately, I think this is my bullish narrative. Maybe this is just me like lying to myself to make me feel better. But if something, if a technology is so useful that even, you know, people that want to control you and people that want to free you want to use it, then maybe that really is the most, one of the most valuable pieces of technology out there because, you know, obviously the government had a very vested interest in all these tech companies in the nineties that got founded, you know, obviously like alphabet and then Facebook and all these other big tech companies, they have, you know, a lot of roots and a lot of these shady, you know, governments and these, you know, these other shady NGOs and, you know, they, we, we know where they were, how those performed from a, you know, for an appreciate value appreciation standpoint. So, you know, maybe as investors, that's a great thing, but, you know, philosophically it, definitely makes you think. I think the other, well, maybe I'm wrong on this, but the other thing about, uh, yeah, the blockchain can be used for nefarious purposes, just like 
Google and Facebook and Twitter can be. Um, yeah. And fair enough. I mean, Google and Facebook and Twitter were um, funded by, from what I understand, the intelligence agencies largely yep. uh, and, at, at startup. And I mean, Amazon is like, you know, Amazon's providing servers for intelligence agencies, that sort of thing. Um, yep. So, you know, none of the, none of the big corporations that we use are clean handed. Um, no, but on the other hand, Chainlink doesn't have a Mark Zuckerberg, right? Yeah, that's true. Well, it, so it, yeah, Chainlink. There's... It can't be as oppressive as the social networks. No, um, it, it can't. Outside of the hands of the government, and since, um, hopefully, my mic's not picking up that dog barking audience. If you can hear a dog barking, that's my fault, <laughs> not Pavel's. Uh, I, I don't really know what I'm trying to say. Like, um. We can we can call Facebook oppressive, and you'll always have the uh, libertarians telling you that the that oh it's a private company. Whereas with Chainlink, if anybody's going to be misusing it, it's going to be the government. Right. Right. It's not they're they're not going to have that private company thing to fall back on. Yeah. Unless, well, unless of course Facebook becomes the social credit arbiter, and yeah, yeah. So well, yeah, that'd be scary. Oh man. Oh man, now I never thought of that. Oh God, now I, now I really hate Mark Zuckerberg even more. Thinking about that, if he were, if he were in charge of social credit, but we're getting we're getting away from crypto. But uh, yeah, I think that you know, it, like you said though, yeah, it is it is the pro the protocol is decentralized. That is one of the nice things, and ultimately, it's like you know, these node operators. You know, I'm sure like in the case of censorship, you know, yeah, there's probably would be node operators that wouldn't, you know, say want to run a smart contract for Alex Jones or, you know, Lauren Southern or someone mm -hmm. else who's like, you know, deep personed. Uh, but there's always a node operator that will at the same time, there's always someone that would be willing to accept that smart contract would be like, Hey, I'll take your money. I'll take your link. So I think, yeah, that, that is a good thing. But then again, like, you know, that's just, you know, it really, it really makes you just pause and think about the future that, you know, because this is really interesting technology. It, it could go, yeah, it's going to use, it, it'll be used for both. It's going to be used to cage us and free us at the same time. Some people are going to get caged by it and others are going to get freed. I think that's what's going to happen because like, that's what's happened with the internet. Some people definitely got freed by it. I could say like definitely like you and I and others, the other people listening, the internet has been a wonderful tool in, you know, breaking us free of the psychological and, and societal like cages that we were locked in before it. Mm -hmm. uh, and for others, They've been completely brainwashed and it, they, you know, it's been used by others to manipulate them, you know, within the state or corporations. So yeah, that's, that's definitely, it's definitely is a real dual sword, double-edged. What a downer. I know um, we had, wow, that was a real downer part of our geez. conversation. Uh, we'll edit some of that out. <laughs> what a, I don't even remember what I was going to ask you next. What? Um, oh yeah. So yeah. this isn't, this isn't, this is totally off the, off the topic. I thought about it earlier when we were talking about ETH 2.0 and how, um, so a few years ago, Bitcoin forked and now you've got Bitcoin cash. Yes. And that's different from just this upgrade of the Ethereum platform. Yes. How is that different? different? And well, first of all, how is that different? What What's the difference between ETH 2.0 and Bitcoin cash? The difference is that other than it's just a fundamental difference. Maybe you just have to describe what what both of those things are. Yeah, I think from to much. I think okay. So a hard fork means that imagine. So imagine you have a straight line. You know that's 
your like a timeline. That's like your your main timeline. That's your main blockchain. That's the you know, that's it. And then a hard fork is essentially that chain that that chain continues, but someone at some point breaks off from it and they ha- they share the same pass up until that point, but then they run parallel next to each other. So it's like, you know, if you look at like a multiverse timeline, you know, that's, you know, what you would see. I'm, th- I'm thinking of Cowboy Bebop, the anime right now. That's, I'm sure you haven't seen it. I think we talked about anime the other day and you're not into it, but uh, anyway. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, sorry. Yeah. But that's how, <laughs> that's how, uh, that's how like really uh, hard forks work is essentially if people, you know, and hard forks happen all the time. And a lot of times those hard forks just never get used. Whereas the Bitcoin Cash hard fork was one that a significant portion of the community, or at least significant enough, decided to you know keep it going and using it, okay. and it's still operational to this day. But yeah, there's hard forks that happen all the time, and you know people will upgrade uh, to it. And I think I think that's probably what hap- is happening with Ethereum is that they are forking it through the platform, and just most of the community is going to follow. They're going to upgrade their oh okay to do that okay. yeah. So like people are just going to upgrade the software to that one, and that's because that's what most of the community, most of the holders, they have agreed on that's what they want so that's just what's going to happen people like vin armani and sal mayweather and roger ver and so i mean just some of the people that like libertarians have heard of but nobody else have heard of are big advocates of bitcoin cash Mm -hmm. um but it doesn't seem like just like normal people are into bitcoin cash i totally get the use case of bch um the transactions are fast the fees are low um, whereas with regular old Bitcoin, you know, it takes 20 minutes to, to pay for something. Um, and sometimes, you know, the fee is higher than, uh, than, than the cost of the, of the thing. Um, maybe, maybe not technically, but you know, I, you know what I mean? Like the fees yeah. are super high sometimes. Yeah. Um, what's the way around that? Do you think that Bitcoin has a future as money? given that limitation um do you think that bitcoin cash might somehow bubble up and become the new bitcoin or or or, or is it going to be some sort of centralized finance system where you know i mean you've got your store of bitcoin in a bank account somewhere and well it acts just like wells fargo yeah i i think uh man it's it's hard to it's hard to see like what i think because i could see i could see it going so many different ways what I ultimately think is going to happen, though, is that Bitcoin, I think at this point, really the thing between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash is there was a real war over, okay, is this going to be like everyday cash, like money that we use, like cash money, or is it going to be a store of value like more akin to gold? And that's kind of what's happened is that the gold, the store of value narrative, you know, having this ironclad, like, you know, a settlement layer um, has seems to have won out amongst you know the whole that debate there and you know maybe uh maybe you'll have something that you like another crypto or you'll use wrapped bitcoin as you know like as opposed to using maybe like just straight bit straight bitcoin or perhaps what's wrapped you know, bitcoin I'm, I'm, mean? Uh, it's meaning it's 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 pegged on another blockchain like there is bitcoin that's held like in reserve but it's you know it's basically like hardwired, like onto like Ethereum, like actually like that's sure. a thing, like you know, it has a ticker and everything like W, BTC, like lowercase W, then BTC. If you, you know, you'll look it up, you can see the actual, like how market cap of that is separate from Bitcoin. Cause you can see how much is like, you know, put on other blockchains. Cause you can do that. You can put other currencies, like you can re- like have currencies be held and represented on a certain blockchains. Hmm. Okay. But yeah, I could see, you know, maybe Bitcoin cash or maybe some, you know, the price action for Bitcoin Cash hasn't been 
you know, a stellar, if, you, if you're, if you're rooting for it, I just, you know, I'll be blunt saying that the price action for the past few years for it hasn't been what you want to see from an asset that, you know, appreciates in value and, you know, actually is a store of value. But, you know, like, like you said, though, like, as you know, I will say that like, as you know, cash, like digital cash, it definitely works better. And that is an issue that Bitcoin and a lot of other cryptocurrencies are going to have. But unfortunately, it's just, you know, the store value narrative is what went out. And that's what I think the majority of the market wants is they want a store digital store value and they want that settlement layer that can't be broken because, you know, and that's, that's really, that's one of the arguments that I've seen uh, for Bitcoin moving forward is that it is, you know, it's not really cash or money, but it's that it's a settlement yeah. layer that it's. And I think it, that's, uh, I think that's fine. I mean, you know, there, there's like a handful of libertarians who, um, don't think that even the gold standard goes far enough to um, get us back to um, what, what's the word we use? Sound uh, money. Sound money. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, look, the gold standard worked. Uh, it worked fine to give you, I hand you a dollar bill or, you know, make a credit card payment denominated in dollars that, you know, then you can yeah. go to the bank and pick up those dollars or you can, you know, go wherever and pick up those Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, I don't see any problem with, with that really. Yeah. I think it's just, if, if the, if the issuer of the, uh, of the currency that's backed by Bitcoin, like as long as it's not a government, I would trust it more as long as it's not like, you know, some, you know, some centralized bank, because mm-hmm. you could hypothetically have like a part, like an actual, like, you know, person that, you know, or a party or government, like whoever, not, not a government, a corporate, like a company or someone, they could like issue tokens that are pegged to Bitcoin, but are acting like cash. You know, you, yeah, you could yeah. do that. Like that's. I mean, you could. I, I presumably one of the or some of the bigger exchanges could do that pretty easily. I mean, Binance has its own um, token that we use for for transaction fees on Binance, yeah. for instance, and you get you get like a discount in your tra- in your transaction fees by using BNB. Yeah, and. And this is something that that I love. Um, if you're trading lots of altcoins and you just have like a, a little tiny fraction of something that's worth you know a few cents, you can convert it to BNB real easily. Just you you click a link and and it's there. Um, so maybe that's maybe that's kind of what what we see as, uh, like you were like you were saying earlier, as the number of altcoins kind of diminishes. You know, so some of these shit coins just cease to be um, the role of the exchange becomes more like what we now know as a bank. I could see that to some extent. Yeah. I think some exchanges are definitely like, I know Coinbase and Gemini because your average person, you know, I think you're definitely going to have as time goes on more people get into like hardware wallets and, you know, paper wallets and, you know, this other, you know, non custodian, like where you are the custodian of your funds but for most people, you know, they're not going to be able to get into that immediately. So I, I definitely see, you know, at least for a little while, you know, like probably there's going to be at least a good few years or maybe up to a decade or more even where um, where people are using like Coinbase or Gemini and, you know, these other platforms like as their banks for crypto, essentially. You know, I mean, even though like it's in the hands of somebody else, it's still crypto. But yeah, I, that's, but that's a, that's definitely like not what we want to see happen. We want to see people actually taking ownership of their funds, you know, through their own wallets and like, you know, maybe like MetaMask, maybe people will figure out MetaMask or other ones, 
But yeah, I think the onus is really on us as people that are into crypto to teach others and educate others, you know, what to like for, tell them what to do, you know? And like, I don't, you know, I always like tell my friends, like they ask me like, Oh, Hey, like, you know, like I, I want to get into crypto. Like, what should I do? I always tell them like, yeah, you know, use Gemini, you know, or Coinbase, depending on what you want to mm-hmm. buy. Um, and I always, but I always say like, Hey, like get a hardware. If you, if you start investing in serious funds, get a hardware wallet. And I think people are naturally going to want to get actual hardware wallets or they're going to get, you know, find out which paper wallets are best, you know, and for those, you know, who are hearing me say like a hardware wallet and paper wallet, a hardware wallet is, you know, it's like literally like, you know, it's a digit, it's a physical, like it's like a flash drive, basically you plug it into your computer, you know, with, you know, either through a USB port or a micro USB port. And it's, it acts as a key to a physical key to your funds. So you need that to actually send and receive transactions. Well, send transactions, you can receive mm-hmm. transactions, but to send transactions away, you need that. Uh, and then with the paper wallet, that's essentially, you know, you get a seed phrase, you get your cryptographic uh, password at the beginning, you write it down, and then you can just enter that, which I don't think is as efficient as a hardware wallet because most people would want something simple that they can just plug in and then use. Yeah, the hardware think- wallet is convenient in that it, uh, you when you plug it in or even just like I've got mine's Bluetooth, so I don't even need to plug it in. Yeah. Um, it shows you exactly what you've got, uh, what you're holding. Um, yeah. So, uh, but, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, once we get down to, and, uh, you know, this is years in the future, but once once this becomes something that's so mainstream that grandma can use it, um, maybe even that isn't all that necessary. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's really tough. It's, <laughs> you know, it, this is, you know, I think this gets, you know, back to libertarianism is that. You know, it's like what Mises and all these other, you know, Austrian economists said, it's like, you can't really predict where a market's going to go because right. you have like, there's, you can't account for the human factor and things like there's probably some smarter like tech entrepreneur out there who's like coming up right now with your entrepreneurs. Like there's all these people out there, they're coming up with solutions to this, that and like people that know what they're doing that are experts in this and they're going to solve that. And we've, because so far, like in the past decade, we've seen so much advancement in you know it's like the blockchain crypto space like i'm i'm really you know like we could sit here and talk all day and theorize like what's going to happen and you know we could get some something some things right but i really think that we're not gonna like there's there's going to be some changes that we just don't see coming you can't predict any like, you can't truly really predict everything but like yeah I, th- I definitely think though in the meantime at least there's definitely going to be a more increase in demand for hardware wallets because people are going to want the extra layer of security and once people realize that if you you know you're using a centralized exchange to hold your coins that you don't truly own those coins you don't can't control them that's going to get a lot of people moving towards actually understanding what they're doing there's going to be yeah. natural pressures for that too which will, which yeah. will help us out it removes that trustless factor when you when you let somebody else hold it for you. Yep. Which, but then again, I mean, normal people have been conditioned to trust their bank. So you know, I mean, that's what that's what I mean. Maybe this is what, maybe that's what maybe that's the best we can we can hope for is that normies abandon Bank of America and Wells Fargo and yeah. pick up Coinbase and Binance instead. Yeah. Well, even Coinbase has issues with that. You know, yeah. like Coinbase has Coinbase. I know for a fact holds a lot of people's cryptos, and they'll like they'll deny people withdrawals. Like and that's you know one of the problems with the centralized exchange, and maybe with DEXs. Right. You know, maybe like we will see the rise of DEXs where people can store their cryptocurrency. Maybe like you know it it, it can work that way, but 
if you're, but the thing is, if you're using a Dex at that point, you probably have a hardware wallet of some kind because they're they're cheap. They're anywhere from sixty to a hundred dollars. I mean, right. you know, sixty sixty dollars to secure, you know, thousands and if not more, like you know, hundreds or millions of dollars worth of funds. I mean, that's not that expensive in the grand scheme of things. And also, as time goes on, you know, those are going to become cheaper, and you know, they're probably only going to be worth like twenty bucks at some point. You know, because like we all, like as we everyone listening is familiar, the more you know, technology advances the cheaper it becomes. Right. I mean, it looks like a flash drive. Um, yeah. Are you, like, do you, are you old enough to remember when flash drives first came out? I, I am. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Like they, they were just revolutionary and they were so expensive. Yeah. But uh, yeah. you know, now it's like you give away flash drives. I mean, you know, you give away a eight gig flash drive as like, you know, merch yeah. or, or, or what do you call it? Swag. Uh, yeah at your, at your convention booth or whatever. Yeah. People just give them away. Like, even like, like, I remember when I was in college, like, you know, like the organizations, like they give out like flash drives and stuff. Like, you know, it's like, it's like kids, like, you know, college kids who don't have money and they're like, they're able to afford a ton of flash drives. Like I remember, yeah, I remember that. Like whenever they, my grandfather was super into tech. So I remember when they came out. Oh, wow. But yeah. Cool. Sorry. Your grandfather. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, cool. Uh, what else? What else do you have uh, that you want to mention? Is there anything else? Yeah, let's let's look in here. Okay, we've got a we've uh, got a list that we're looking at. Um, yeah, you sent it to me too. Uh, yeah, I talked about that. Oh, by the way, good news for the markets. I just saw my friend texting me. Apparently, the fourteen hundred dollars stimulus check passed Congress. Oh, great, that's good yeah. to know. That's good for um, us. Bad for really for everyone actually, but good for us somewhat. Uh, yeah, one thing I could say maybe that I kind of left out. I want, okay. One thing I did leave out earlier, actually. Um, so when I was talking about the four year cycle meme and all that, and the logarithmic growth curve, the logarithmic uh, growth curve, excuse me, is that what really predicates a lot of these bull runs is the having for Bitcoin, which is, you know, whenever a certain uh, level of, you know, hash of uh, that, when the hash rate, which is the amount of electricity being used reaches a certain level, which is like the diff, like, the problems get the mathematical problems that they're solving, uh, because like reach a certain level of difficulty, it takes a certain amount of power, the amount of Bitcoin, uh, that gets rewarded to each miner every time they unlock a full block, uh, it gets reduced by half. In last May, we had a reduction from 12 and a half, uh, Bitcoin per block to 6.25. So that natural, you know, that natural reduction in supply as demand increases, you know, it, it helps naturally anybody who has, you know, basically basic economics when, you know, supply is down, demand is high, price goes up. And that's what's happening with Bitcoin. You know, every time that we have one of these runs, that's what precedes it is the having. And then because, you know, Bitcoin is going up, that gains interest, that garners interest from various people that, you know, want to invest from institutions to to retail. And then because they think, because the Bitcoin gets attention and people want gains, they start looking at altcoins and that causes that causes a cascade of effects that lifts the whole market up. That's just one thing. I, that's just one tiny little thing that I forgot to throw in earlier when we were talking about, uh, you know, like sort of like what's driving the market and why things are going up. Yeah. There's that psychological factor that like, Oh, th- this, this altcoin is only 37 cents. So I'm going to buy a whole bunch of this instead of yeah. like a tiny fraction of a Bitcoin. Yeah. And which people, which you're to your average retail investor and most people listening, you know, who've never invested in crypto, they'll want to do that. That actually doesn't necessarily work out for you every time because a lot of times those really cheap ones, you know, they're actually 
for their, you know, because the way that you actually measure value for a cryptocurrency is you divide the total market cap by the circulating supply of tokens. And then that's, you, you get the price of that cryptocurrency of what it's worth. So if you have something that has, you know, like say like you have a token that went from like one cent to 50, you know, like people be like, oh, it's still cheap. It's under a dollar. Well, due to the fact it appreciated so fast and, you know, and due to its supply, it's like it could actually be like topped out. In most cases it will be. So they'll buy a ton of it and like, oh, I got really cheap. It's like, well, no, you didn't. And then it just goes down. There's a lot of purists too, who would be just scolding us right now for, uh, pricing pricing these things in dollars but you know yeah but suck, suck it we're, we're talking yeah. about we're talking about trading right now we're not talking about like your favorite philosophy of uh currency and so on and so forth oh of course yeah and most normal most normal people use the dollar as you know their base pair unfortunately that's what we that's what we've you know we're just we're used to talking like that we're used to thinking i mean it's the world reserve currency so Yes, it's still it it still is that it's going to be that for a while so like just kind of yeah. go with it it'll be you'll be all right make a lot of money like that's that's yeah. the whole that's the whole thing the, but on the other hand like i just recently took a vin armani's um bitcoin mystery school course um and it's great and he comes at it from from a very like philosophical standpoint he doesn't come mm-hmm. at it from the point of view of a trader um yeah. he's very famous for saying that uh bitcoin is not money um, it's more like it's, it's, it's something transcendent for him. And so, and so to, to talk about it in the same way you talk about stocks or, or, you know, uh, foreign exchange or is that what it's called? Foreign, foreign currencies. Yeah. Yeah, Forex. Forex, Exactly. I was thinking foreign exchange students, uh, (laughs) the, to talk about it in the same terms as that is somehow like debasing it or, 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 um, making it something less than what it is. Um, so I, I want to go on record as saying that like this stuff is super exciting to me and I get goosebumps talking about, um, especially Ethereum, like to Mm -hmm. me, I've, I've compared them, um, Bitcoin. And this is, this is getting into something that you're, you're probably not even familiar with. Uh, but this integral theory, Bitcoin feels a lot like, um, sort of the, the, the amber stage, whereas Ethereum feels a lot more like the, uh, the integral stage of human development. Mm -hmm. And so I, I totally see this stuff from that standpoint, but here in the real world, the non-philosophical, uh, world, like the realm of where I'm sitting here, you know, I need to pay my rent and I would eventually like to quit my job and that kind of thing. Um, I do. I want to, I want to build wealth denominated in dollars because that's the currency that I use to make transactions with my landlady and with the restaurant that I'm going to go to tonight and that sort of thing. So like you have to kind of exist in both worlds if you want to see this as something exciting, but also as something practical and, uh, and potentially very lucrative. Oh, I completely, I completely agree. You know, like, and I, you know, I'm a trader and I, I, I speak in very, you know, very like kind of finance bro terms when I, you know, I talk about like, oh, it's going to, you know, your return on investment, it's going to you know, appreciate this much, you know, and, and, you know, like you mentioned, yeah, unfortunately, we have to live in this world. But, you know, whenever I think about and I talk about it with my friends, you know, there's just like, I get so excited because I, I know 
what the actual reasons are for this technology to exist, you know, what it can do and what it can do to society. Because, you know, people, you know, and, and that's, I think, what really separates the people that are here for the money and are actually, you know, here for the tech, you know, we're in it for the tech, you mm-hmm. know, as the saying, you know, the saying is whenever, you know, you're losing money, it's like you're actually here for the tech. But like, we really are. And people forget that. And I think that, especially with traders, a lot of traders really forget why we're here. And that is why it frustrates me a lot of times when I talk to other traders, because they don't even know what a lot of the coins they're trading do. Like some of my favorite traders did not know what Chainlink did until up until three, two, even like a month ago. They didn't know. They just knew, oh, it's going up. You know, it's just, I'll trade. And like, and that's really, I think the difference between people who are more finance oriented and more tech oriented is that, you know, you're either, you know, you're either just chasing, you know, that number going up in your portfolio, or you're actually, you know, most people in crypto, to be fair, are actually in it for the tech as well, like me. But that is a, and, and most normal people, they don't actually care about, you know, the meanings behind it. They just see, oh, number go up. So my number yeah. go up too. Well, and if you want to have a, if you want to have a good spiritual almost experience, um, listen to Vitalik Buterin and Lex Friedman talking. I mean, it's a three hour interview of just, the most optimistic. That. Oh, it's so great. Uh, I'll put a link to it in the notes. Um, it's, it's a, it's a really good interview. Vitalik Buterin is the founder of Ethereum and uh, he, he envisions a world um, that even though he's personally a progressive, um, I think that his goal with Ethereum is very, very liberty friendly, like self-governing and that sort oh, of yes. thing. Yes. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, um, what what else? You got anything else? Do you just want to just want to give people your Twitter and sign off? And, or yeah, what? yeah. You can follow me at Pavel Trades on Twitter. That's where I am. I'm not really anywhere else. Um, I don't. James will tell you I don't tweet out like the most valuable things all the time. A lot of it is just it's just, it's just shit posting. But hey, you know if you want to like you know use me as a jumping jumping off point, you know, cause like, like I said, like I always defer, Hey, like, cause I, I ride the coattails of smarter people, you know, uh, but just go look at my follow list. Not everybody I follow is worth anything, but you know, just you go through my people I follow, you'll find some great accounts. If you, if you want to DM me, I'll gladly answer any questions you have, or if you want, you know, like ask me like, you know, where to get started or, you know, what you want to do or, you know, who, who to follow. Like I'll, I have lists and I'll gladly share them with anybody listening. Like I'm, I'm all about, spreading the, you know, spreading the good news yeah. of, of crypto and uh, evangelizing it. You, you gave know. me a list uh, that, what is my, it's, so I've got this alt Twitter now. It's like noob token trader. Um, so I'll yeah, put the link to that in there as well so that you can just, it's only, it's like, it's like 12 people who uh, you gave me to follow and turn on notifications um, yeah. because they're the most valuable. So follow Pavel, pa- follow the noob token trader. Um, and yeah, let's, let's all make some money together. Yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's all get rich. Cool. Let's all get rich while we're in it for the tech. Well, thanks for coming back, Pavel. Um, thanks for having me. We will talk soon. All right. Thanks again to Pavel for coming on today. Thank you for listening. Um, make sure that you're subscribed on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And if you're listening on YouTube, I would highly recommend that you go over to Odyssey, the decentralized blockchain-based video streaming platform um, that is sort of the wave of the future for that sort of thing. Uh, 
And as always, the best way to subscribe is at blackbird.substack.com to make sure that you get email updates for every episode that I release, along with written content. You can sign up for free, or you can sign up for a paid subscription so that you get any premium content that I release in the future, plus the satisfaction of knowing that you're supporting this show, which you love so much. And so that's it for this episode. I will see you next time when Patrick McFarlane from the Liberty Weekly podcast joins me. And until then, live free.